Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz vocalist, songwriter, and performer Hannah Gill. She discussed her debut and new 2023 CD, Everybody Loves a Lover, and her life in music. This 26-year-old artist based in Bushwick, Brooklyn, has over 10 million streams on Spotify, and her YouTube videos have exceeded 22 million views. She has been covered by the New York Times, Teen Vogue, and NPR, amongst others, and has toured internationally with the likes of the postmodern jukebox. Her story is a great one. Dig it. Hi. Oh, we Hi, Hannah. Hello. What's going on? Not much. Just hanging out at my house. I actually... I've been COVID positive these past couple weeks and I'm doing my two tests now and it looks like I'm testing negative. So oh, good. good, 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 good. Right on. Well, it's great to meet you. And I guess that's the first way that I kind of wanted to start everything off was to see how you've done through this last three years of the COVID period, and obviously just getting over it now. How are you doing and how has it changed the way that you're looking and doing things and getting through everything that you do as a musician? When the pandemic happened, it was, it was crazy. I mean, you know, like it was, so I was on tour with Postmodern Jukebox at the time. And I remember my last show, because I ended up having to leave the tour early because I had another thing I had to do. My last show ended up being everybody's last show because that was when we decided to like stop trap like touring because of the pandemic. But um, and it was crazy. I was in China back in November of 2019 for a swing dancing event. And so I like made some friends over there. So it was funny because like I would see people like post about some sort of like sickness, like back in like December and January being like, oh, that's crazy. And then just slowly watching it go over the whole world was yeah. kind of nuts. But no, I mean, in the period of a week, I lost all of my work like I was at first my first show to get canceled was I was going to do my first show at South by Southwest for my original music uh, and that was the first one to go and then that after that you know everything got canceled my last show in the city was Friday the 13th in March wow. <laughs> and, and I remember we were at this place called this uh the secret room like in Times Square and nobody knew how it was being spread at the time so I remember going to work with like a black dress and latex gloves under a pair of like fancy gloves and being like oh this will get this will keep me safe i've got it like <laughs> it's just no it seems like a world away but but no then the whole world shut down and i mean i personally i'm not somebody that likes to sit still really so it was a conundrum for me yeah. but after a few like after a little while, they'll just kind of realize like, oh, this is actually happening. Like I started to to really be more proactive because I realized then the only way that you could really continue to support yourself, because I also didn't get my unemployment for like eight, nine months. Like wow. it took them a long time to file my claim. So I was like just panicking, you know, and um and I've always played ukulele and guitar growing up. I've played ever since I was a kid, but it was more so for just songwriting or for playing around. Like I had never really used it in a professional situation. So I was like, oh shit, if I, if I want to be able to play shows for people, I have to play shows. Like I can't just sing alone in my room. So I kind of focused all of my crazy energy into 
you know, really getting better at ukulele and guitar and was able to play shows from my house. And, and I did a couple of events with like local jazz clubs in the city where everybody would hop on a zoom and do stuff. There were swing dancing classes online. It was a very crazy time, but then all, and not to ramble on too much about it. Like I said, there's so much that happened in that period, but I also, I recorded two albums actually in in that period of time. I did, uh, or two EPs. The first one was done pretty much in the beginning of the pandemic where I had original music that, that I wanted to put out there. And I was able to have my friends, like we all recorded from our separate homes and mixed it. And I made all the artwork at home and, and put that out. It was called Songs from Quarantine. And then later on, after the vaccine had come out, um, then I did a I did a a, a spooky jazz album. <laughs> it was because, in my opinion, I think that there's a specific bunch of songs in the jazz repertoire that are perfectly suited for like any sort of Halloween situation. And yeah. I Halloween's my favorite holiday, so I wanted to do something, and and so I ended up I was able to get a studio and had everybody in and different sections so we weren't overcrowding the room and everyone was masked and we were able to do it and and put it out so there were lots of lots of lots of creativity had to come out of it there's a lot of busking in the park you know anything under the sun that you could imagine (laughs) sure sure well how does it feel to have the brand new album out everyone loves a lover how what that has to feel good now to you know with things kind of opening up and yeah, I'm excited. It comes out in two in two days on the eighth, and I'm thrilled about it because we recorded it last October. So yeah. I've been like, just feel like I've been sitting on a gold mine, being like, I've been telling my friends about it, but you need to listen to it. Yeah, but it's it's a huge deal. I mean, I'm I've been making music um, in some capacity or another, like professionally since I was 16 and I've actually in that period of time I've never released a full length album so I'm 26 now so that's 10 years it's crazy to think about like I'm having a little musician midlife moment (laughs) right so it's amazing that it's it's finally happening and it's music that I am so proud of that sounds so good and the musicians sound phenomenal like I feel like in the past I think every every everyone's their own worst critic you know so there's always little things that you'll hear when you listen back to a recording and go oh maybe i could have done that differently or oh maybe i would like to do blah 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 but then you just resign yourself to saying well it's a snapshot of where i was in my life at that moment but i haven't had that with this record yet like it's really i just am very proud of it it's awesome i'm very happy what are you hoping the listener gets from this album I guess is enjoyment too, too basic of an, like, I mean, I, for me, I just want them to to enjoy it, to like, listen to, to some beautiful songs that I think most people haven't heard before. There are some tunes on there, like, like Autumn Leaves, you know, or Sin to Tell a Lie that I think are more, that people are more familiar with, but I know for me, some of the tunes like This Will Make You Laugh or um what's it called what can I say after I say I'm sorry you know I found those tunes like during the pandemic and I had no idea they existed and then was shocked by how beautiful they were so I think getting to like share 
share some tunes that people haven't really heard is always a nice thing. But at the end of the day, like for me, there's, <laughs> and this seems like a very um, obvious answer, but my favorite kind of music is just music that makes me feel good, that makes me enjoy what I'm listening to, that doesn't make me feel anxious. Like, don't get me wrong. There's a, mo- there's a point in time for all sorts of kind of music that make you feel any kind of way. But I know for this record, I just wanted it to be something that people could put on and just enjoy, you know, and not have to be like, oh, this one song is, um, it's too intense for this moment. Or, oh, this one's too like moody, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Just rambling. I mean, can you tell him I'm excited? No, you're good. No, 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 you're good. It's, it's, it's like improv. It's getting it out there. So I'm curious, how did this jazz journey begin for you? How did you get involved with, not only singing and and music, but with jazz. Yeah. So, um, well, so singing and music is one story and then jazz is another story. Would you like both? (laughs) Sure. We'll combine it. (laughs) Okay. So, well, so the way that I came, the way that I got my start in the scene and in this like path that I'm on is, um, basically back in middle school i transferred middle schools because i was getting really badly bullied and needed to like leave that space and when i went to this new school they had a talent show and so i decided screw it i'm gonna do this talent show i ended up winning the talent show and my dad was a very proud dad and wanted to show it to everybody on the board at the ymca and one of the guys on the board was like, hey, my son has a recording studio up in New York City, like for her birthday, like for her 16th birthday, would you like to bring her up? So she kind of knows what it feels like to be in a studio and get to like record songs, just like cover songs for fun, you know? And so we waited until my 16th birthday and and I came up and and um, saw Ben Howard concert in Central Park, Michael Kiwanuka opened. And um and then went to the studio that was run by Brad Hammonds, my old musical partner, and recorded two cover songs. And then after that, he asked me to come back up to the city and record uh, some music for like some of his own music. So then at that point, I started kind of traveling my junior year of high school back and forth, um, maybe once a month to come up to New York and and play a show at Rockwood Music Hall at like 4 p.m. on a Tuesday, you know, like, and my dad was always really cool about letting me come up as long as I didn't miss any schoolwork. So, so basically my last two years of high school, um, I was coming up to the city. And in this period of time, I also started writing my own original music and performing it. Um, and when it came time to graduate, my musical partner basically was like, well, if I create a record label and you agree to like, and you defer a year from college and promise to only focus on really trying to make this work, like the record label will support you for a year, like, and pay your rent. So it was a crazy situation. I'm very glad my parents went along with it. But so I moved to New York in 2015. And and in that first year, there wasn't a lot of stuff I could do at 18, right? Like, I can't really go to bars. Like, I didn't have a fake ID, you know? Like, I wasn't cool. <laughs> uh, but one thing that I started dating this guy, who and he was a swing dancer. And so he took me to a swing dance night called the Frim Fram Jam at You Should Be Dancing, where it starts off as a lesson, and then it turns into, like, open dance with a live band. 
Yeah. And, um, and I went and loved it, like had a blast. And even though we didn't last for very long after we broke up, I was like, screw this. I'm going back to swing dancing. <laughs> so I would go out swing dancing like three or four times a week. Cause it was like something I could do. It was good exercise. I was able to make so many friends and kind of tap into this new community. And through that, I started to meet the musicians that were playing at these events and before I moved to New York, like kind of just growing up in Maryland, like I thought the only way that you could be a, you could make money with music was to be a music teacher. Like I was convinced that was the only way, like I had never seen it done in my life. So how would I know, you know? And so it was really cool to start to talk to these folks and realize like, oh, this is your job. Like you, you play these gigs all the time and you can support yourself on it. And in that first year, that's kind of when I started to dip my toe into trying to play jazz gigs. And and it kind of all escalated from there. I started working with Glenn Kreitzer, uh, who's got an awesome big band. And he really helped me expand my my repertoire. And he's the sort of dude, too, that's very like he, when he likes he's kind of a Puritan when it comes to the way the music is written. Like if it's written in the 30s, it should be performed like it's like it sounds like it's in the 30s. So I remember one of the things that was really helpful for me at the time was because I was just if I heard a Billie Holiday version of a song and just listened to it, I'd be like, OK, that's the song. Cool. Got it. Like yeah. and wasn't really like respecting the history of the music, you know, because I didn't know I didn't go to school for it, you know. And so I he was so helpful because we'd sit down and he'd be like, all right, you've got these 15 songs on your list. I want you to work with my band, but we're going to need 50 songs on this list. So let's look at everything. And then I remember we'd go through, he had all the original sheet music and he'd be like, okay, sing them their eyes. And I go, I fell in love with you. He's like, that's wrong. That's wrong. Let's look up the sheet music. And then go, I fell in love with you, do, do, do. like all the painstaking little notes, but it was exactly what I needed because from those few weeks working with him, it taught me how to, properly learn songs on my own. And then from there, you know, I had the skills needed and that was at the beginning of this journey. And now I think, I mean, I've been in the scene for like eight years now. Yeah. So that's wonderful. You know, so in this journey that you've been on, what do you look forward to the most? I mean, you record, you perform, you're promoting, you do all these things, but what is it that you like the best about being a professional musician? For me, I think it's, kind of just getting to be out and and having the adventures and experiences that come with performing and and working as a musician you know like at the end of the day i would love if all of the music took off and was super super successful and i got to tour all over the world like that's a a dream but and but for me i think ever since i started doing what i do I kind of had this like inner compass that was like, I'm not here to be famous. I'm here to make music the rest of my life. Like if I can make music the rest of my life and support myself on music the rest of my life, like as a job well done and anything else is just like frosting on the cake. So for me, this record is just such a beautiful snapshot of like that feeling of being like, wow, if I can feel like this, the way that I feel after making this record, like for the rest of my life, like that's the goal. Like that's ultimate happiness for me. 
And if I get some extra money, like that rocks too, you, you know, go. but, but yeah. like... I dig it. What, what would be a dream show for you? If you could get into a time machine and go back into the annals of jazz and see one person live anywhere, where are you going? Oh, I've got a good one just to watch, right? Just to sit back and watch. Yeah. Okay. And you can meet them. You know, it could be an immersive experience. Oh, even better. <laughs> so my, so I'd have to go. There was a battle of the bands back at the Savoy Ballroom back in the day. And it was Chick Webb and Ella Fitzgerald because Ella only worked with Chick Webb up until he died. Yeah. And then he was like, please go work with other people. So like she was singing with his band seven nights a week, all new music at the Savoy Ballroom. Right. So they wanted to kind of prove their stuff. So they did this battle of the bands at the Savoy Ballroom with Chick Webb and Ella and Benny Goodman and a fresh face new singer Billy Holiday yep. because Billy Holiday had only been working with Benny Goodman for like a couple years at this time and so of course like Ella and Chick Webb like wiped the floor with them but apparently the ballroom was like stuffed like sardines like people were just trying to watch and dance and I have to admit like I would mm, I would love to see that show because I wonder how many people were sitting there watching it and realizing that they were like witnessing history. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's cr- Ella Fitzgerald and oh. Chick Webb versus Benny Goodman and Billie Holiday. Are you yeah. kidding? Oh, Doesn't even sound. Insane. Sounds like it's made up for sure. Um, yeah. You know, everyone out there has a perception of you. Family, friends, fans. But ultimately, you live your life. You're in control. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Mm, it's a big question. Right. It's, <laughs> this is the therapy part of it (laughs) yes exactly and it's on zoom just like my therapy sessions (laughs) oh my gosh amazing um how would I describe myself god I don't know I mean the way that I'm definitely upbeat (laughs) like I you know I prefer to even if I'm like it's a hard question just how would I I describe or just... I, I think it's more about your perception. So like when you run into people, everyone sees uh-huh. you in a role, you know, they always see you mm. as this, like when you're on stage, they see you as the performer. That's who they know you as. Your family yeah. knows you from when you were born all the way to now. Friends know you whenever you met them. But ultimately, this whole timeline you've been in control of. So what's your yeah. perception, your idea of who you think you are projecting to the world? Well, I definitely think I'm, especially the older I get, I'm turning into a nurturer. (laughs) Like, I always want to make sure that the people I'm working with feel comfortable and, like, feel, and it is the same with friends in my life. Like, you know, just taking care of people brings me a lot of, like, joy. Like, seeing other people happy makes me happy. Um, But then that can also slide into the realm of somebody being like, you're not my mom, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But no, I think that for me... I've had experiences in the past where I've felt stressed out or uncomfortable in a work situation, you know, and I, and I'm somebody with like, like diagnosed anxiety, all this stuff. So it can be like debilitating, you know, and being the only woman in the room most of the time certainly doesn't help. And so I know for me, like that feeling is no good. So the last thing I would ever want is for anybody that I care about or that I work with to feel those feelings, you know? So I just try and make, I don't know, at the end, like, 
music is the thing that I love and I'm very lucky to get to do the thing that I love for a living. And then what happens if you become spiteful or pessimistic about work and that work is the thing that you love? Like, what does that do? Does that mess with your relationship with music and all this stuff? And, and I've definitely felt that before. So I try to kind of like at the end of the day, like it's just music. You know, I, I had this one dude that I worked with one time, tell me a story. He was talking about some guy that worked at a record label and, and he was not picking up his phone. And and finally the guy picked up and he's like, what, what is it? And this guy's like, we have an emergency. We have an absolute emergency. I can't believe you're not, you're not answering me. And he's like, what happened? Did the records get scratched? Like nobody's dying. Nobody's losing their life. It's music, you know, like we, and so I have to kind of remind myself of that. Like, it's it's that perfect balance of respecting the thing that you love, you know, and and treating the people that make that help you make this thing that you love with respect and making sure that even if there are like little annoyances like in the business, just like you have with any job, that it doesn't separate. It doesn't make you feel disconnected from that love of music that got you here to begin with. Yeah. And so I think that like by kind of offering like one of my favorite things is being like, Oh, there's a problem. Give it to me. Like, I'll just, I'll, if like, if there needs to be a bad guy, whatever, give it to me or I'll chat with this person. Like I've hired you for this gig. Like I'm the leader. I'll take this responsibility because at the end of the day, like we're all just here to have a good time, you know? And so, so I don't know. Yeah, no, you did it. You nailed it. So everybody loves a lover comes out in a few days. Is Bandcamp the best place to pick this up? Yes. Well, Bandcamp, you know, they're very good at supporting artists and a lot of that money goes right back to us. But also, you know, you can, if you go onto the Turtle Bay website, they have CDs and vinyl uh, for pre-order too, cool. that you can get if you want a physical copy. Excellent. Anna, this has been great. Thank you so much for opening up about your life and music. Yes. And this project. Thank Best you for probing my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Brooklyn, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Hannah for her time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, Enjoy the jazz, my friends. In love with you. Leon Jazz.